Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, hey, thanks for reading the scripture saying. Uh, I think I like your ben your version better, uh, how the wife benefits the husband. <laughs> uh, I don't know if my wife likes that, but I, I do. But anyways, um, well, it's good to see everybody here. Hopefully you uh, are doing okay, having a good week. Um, as, as Pastor James already mentioned, we do have a few things coming up, and so to keep those things in prayer. But right now, today, um, as you are listening or watching or or just listening while you do your thing out there and whatever you're trying to do. Um, we're back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And um, after this, I'm not sure what we'll do next. I might skip around 1 Corinthians or maybe do something else different. Uh, next week, Pastor James will be delivering the word of God for us. And after that, we, we may move on to a, a, a different subject. But I, I, I want to, if you, if you haven't joined us in a while, I want to kind of preface what I'm going to do here today. Uh, from the verses that I was just read by saying um, two weeks ago or even before that we got very practical here in, in chapter six and chapter seven Paul was addressing very practical and real issues the issues of sex the issues of, of marriage and, and, and singlehood and, and uh, we tried to address uh, Paul's perspective on each of those things and then last week we we looked at contentment and how we struggle and how we ought to look at contentment, how we achieve it um, in a general or broader sense in this passage. And what Paul is doing now is that as we look at contentment, he goes back actually to, to marriage and singlehood, um, not, to, not to kind of rehash everything and talk about what those things are because he just did it. But what he's going to do is he's going to talk about contentment again in that context uh, of marriage and singlehood. But as we hear this word, or as we read this word today, what he's gonna actually do at the end of this passage, or even at the end of the sermon, is not really talk about marriage or singlehood, but really give us something challenging. Uh, I think it's something difficult for many of us who have been Christian for a while. Uh, it's a perspective on, I think, what Paul thinks the Christian life should look like, especially for here, the, the people here in the church of Corinth. And so we're going to look at this um, today. And um, the way we start is, is this, in, in verses 25 to verse 28, here, here, here's basically what's going on. There are people in this church that were asking Paul, you know, now that I'm a Christian and given my circumstances, is it good to be married or is it good to be single? Uh, Paul, what do you think is better? Because after all, you're single, and um, you know it seems like you prefer that. Uh, so should we stay single or should we get married? Uh, which one is better? Which one is good, right? And um, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Many of us here are already married. Some of us here are, are still single. And, and if we think about relationships, um, married or single, which is better? Those of us who are married today, is it definitely a lot better than when you were single? And I think many of us might say yes, but I think there are probably people there that might say maybe not, you know, because maybe you're in a difficult point in your marriage. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's hard right now. Maybe there's some struggles that you had to deal with that you didn't have to deal with when you were single. And, and I think it's, it's, it's easy to get cynical about relationships. Uh, there's this one, one author who's very cynical about both singlehood and marriage. And, and he asked this question and he says this, basically the choice is this, do you want to be single and lonely? Right. Or do you want to be married and bored? I think he kind of said it sarcastically, 
at least marriage, at least you're not lonely, but isn't it terribly boring? Isn't it very safe? Isn't it very predictable, you know? Uh, and singleness on the other hand, yeah, you might not be boring. You're, you're free to, to, to engage in whatever you wanna do in your life, but it gets lonely sometimes, especially when you have no one to share your joys with, isn't it? And if we really want to be single, uh, cynical about these things, you know, maybe with regards to being single or, or, or marriage, maybe all we're doing when we move from single to marriage is we're kind of just swapping out one set of problems, one set of troubles just for another, one set of burdens for another, because there are particular challenges that come with being single, and there are different challenges and burdens that come with being married. Well, Paul, a couple of weeks ago, Paul, he doesn't give us a cynical view, but I think what he does is he gives us a more realistic view. And he says basically this to summarize, on the one hand, if you're single, as hard as it is at times, you and I or you are not to be bullied into thinking yourself somehow defective just because you're single, somehow to think of yourself less than adequate because you're single or because of peer pressure of being single. If you're single, yes, it, it can be hard and, and you're struggling and, and maybe with loneliness, but Paul wants you to understand you are not failing. You're struggling maybe, but you're not failing. You're not odd, you're, you're not deficient. In fact, you have much to offer, especially to the Lord and in service to him. And on the other hand, if you're married, um, you, 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 let's be honest, you know that many times grass on that side isn't really always greener, is it? You have your own particular struggles. And if you're a parent, even more so, right? You may not struggle with being alone, but ironically, you might actually struggle with not being alone enough. You want alone time now. Uh, and you're not having enough, maybe. You, but Paul wants to remind you, you've been blessed with a person in your life. If you have kids, you, you've been blessed with people in your life to which you have a responsibility and a burden, not just to cure your loneliness, but to fulfill God's call or God's purpose for you in your life as a husband, as a wife, or as a parent. And so the people are asking Paul, which one is it better, marriage or single? Which one should I do? And Paul here is basically saying this, I, you know, I have a preference, but I don't really have a command here. Marriage is a good thing, but singleness can also be a good thing. And um, he kind of doesn't really answer that question directly, but it kind of depends. That's what he kind of, that's his answer. What's better? Well, you know, it, it kind of depends. But when you look at this passage, whether you're talking about marriage or singlehood, for Paul, there's something bigger going on in his head when he's addressing this issue, especially to this church in Corinth. And with the question of marriage or singleness, uh, for Paul, there are three things I see in this passage that he actually wants to have concern for. And, and the best way to kind of know, remember this is this, three C's, okay? Contentment, commitment, and captured. Whether you're married or single, whatever you're trying to work out in your life, uh, three things to remember in whatever situation you find yourself in or what you're going for, three C's, contentment, commitment, and then to be captured, okay? Let me, let me explain what I'm talking about here. Uh, the first point here is this, uh, Paul has not left the subject of contentment. Right. If you remember last week, we looked at verses 18 to verse 21. And, and you remember the way Paul speaks. He says this about circumcision. He says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? 
let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't worry about it. And, and, and so that's, that's what he's talking about. Whatever you are, circumcised or not, you know, don't worry about it. And then you look at our passage this morning. Look at verse 27 or listen to verse 27. He says this, are you bound to wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. And so you see the same rhythm of question and answer, the same style that continues in the previous chapter about contentment or previous verses about contentment, and uh, as it is right now today in our passage that we just heard read. Um, and it's even, there's even the same vocabulary here. And back in verse 20, Paul says, let each one remain in the condition which you were called. And now in our passage, verse 26, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, he's not saying, you know, necessarily saying, you know, you don't need to make any changes in your life. Um, but what Paul is doing is he's really talking about being content in any situation. And he's continuing that theme. And now he's applying it more specifically to the question of singleness and marriage. He wants the Corinthians to be content. He's not there to tell the church, you should get married or you should be single. But he wants them, whether single or married, his concern is whatever situation you remain in, you ought to remain as content. As content, right? That whatever situation they, you find yourself in, he wants contentment for them. Why? Because last week, we just, as we just learned, because your contentment then is not found in your marriage, ultimately. At least for Paul, your ultimate contentment is not found in your singlehood. It's not found in what you do or who you have in this world, but it's to be found in him. That your contentment is found in him. And so for Paul, it's not an issue of whether you should be single or married. For Paul, if you're single, there's a contentment to be had. And if you're married, there's a contentment to be had. But that contentment doesn't come from your particular situation or circumstance. It needs to come from the God that has saved your life and that you put your faith in and that you trust in. And only that kind of contentment, he says, is going to last, right? So, for example, if you're married or if you're looking to get married, you know, you could find contentment in the context of your marriage, but you should not find your contentment from your marriage, right? It doesn't come from that because he's reminding the per church and he's saying this, you've been called by God in the gospel into a relationship with this Jesus Christ. That's where your identity ought to be. That's where your worth, your satisfaction needs to be found, not in your earthly vocations or callings or responsibilities and roles and even in relationships. So find your satisfaction and contentment in Christ. This is what he's trying to say right? Your satisfaction and contentment, not in your earthly circumstance, but in God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. Find your identity, find your contentment, find your rest uh, in this relationship above all other relationships, before every other in your relationship with Christ. That's his big idea. That's the first point. And he's saying, therefore, you can find contentment, whether married or not, okay? How do you do that? And, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but simply is this. You can be content as you are, wherever you are, 
The way to be content is this. When you really understand and when you really see that Jesus Christ is enough for your heart. That he is enough for your heart. Paul doesn't want these people thinking that the only way people can be happy or fulfilled or satisfied is if they have a relationship, right? If they have, if they have Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, if they find the one, right? Or just to always be in some kind of relationship. And I think still today, that's a real temptation for many of us, that we have to be in a relationship in order to be satisfied. And our whole identity can be bound up in that. But I think Paul here is trying to deliver us from that kind of all idolatry. And he's promoting a kind of contentment, married or not, in a relationship or not, that focuses on a relationship with the God who has given to us his only son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's his, that's his ultimate concern. One of the ultimate concerns is contentment. But the second C here that we look at here when he's dealing with issues of marriage and contentment or singlet and contentment is this. Not just contentment, but commitment. Commitment. Look at or listen to verses 32 through 35. And this is what Paul says. He says, I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the same, he says, goes for the wife and the unmarried woman. And I want you to remember this or hear this. There are only two options here in terms of relationship here. And that is this. He says, you either please the Lord or in the context of marriage, you please your spouse. Right, And he kind of puts those things at odds at, to, at each other. Not that there are at odds, not that pleasing your spouse is a bad thing and pleasing the Lord is the good thing. But here it sounds like he's pitting it against each other. And, and the question is why? why? Why does he do this? Right, And I think what he's doing is not saying one is good and one is bad. I think he's just being practical here. That if you're single, an unmarried person uh, can know more of a single-mindedness than a married person could um, as they serve God or Jesus together. So, you know, we said this before, if you want to go on a, on, a, on a mission trip as a single person, what do you do? Well, you pray, um, you might raise support, and then, and then you go, right? But if you wanted to go on a, in a little mission trip as a married person, that's a decision you can't just make on your own, can you? You've, you, you, you've got to uh, ask your spouse. You've got to make sure things are taken care of. You've got to see how your children are uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so it's different. Uh, it's not going to be that simple. You want to, for example, devote your life, all right, to a life of Christian service, to spend or to be spent in Jesus' name, right? Could you do that as a single? Yeah, you could, right? You could. You could do that. You could pour yourself out for Jesus without a second thought. But a married person, you just can't get up and do that, can you? You need to consider the needs, the gifts, the, the, the feelings, the fears, and the doubts, uh, the questions of, of your spouse, right? As a single person, and when you're single, all you got to struggle with is your own sin, right? But as a married person, you, you don't just struggle with your own sin. Now you have to struggle with your partner's sin too, right? And so he's being very practical here. It's just the fact is that we just have more responsibility to think of when in your single, there can be more devotion or single-mindedness to the Lord in service to him. And that's what Paul is really thinking about here. But the reason I think he starts to sound so like either or, or very, I guess, um, 
uh, black or white with this issue is because of the way this church is going through things. Paul seems to suggest here in verse 26 that this church is going through something. He calls it a distress, right? There were feet, there, the people here were facing a season of unusual suffering. Uh, and I think perhaps even persecution for Jesus' sake. And so if he sounds a little bit like in your face, this is it, it's this or that, it's because of the situation that this church is in, that they may be going through a very difficult time. And if it's persecution, look, you can face persecution for Jesus' sake as a single person. And it, it might be hard, but no one else has to bear that burden except you. But if you're married, right, then you have to consider your spouse or your family. And you might think twice about standing up for Jesus Christ if you knew that doing so might paint a target not only on you, but also on your family, right? Your husband or your wife. And so it's a very serious issue, and it could be a very serious issue, and it makes it very difficult to say which one you should do. But I want you to at least see this, that Paul's concern here is only two choices. Whether you're single or married, it's either you please the Lord or you please your family. Uh, not one is good and the other one is bad. He's being practical, if not radically practical. But notice what is not an option. The option there that you don't see is to please yourself. He's not saying here in this context, you know what, marriage is hard because you always have to think about the other person. So be like me, be single, then you could just do whatever you want and focus on yourself. That is not an option. There's no concept here of pleasing yourself. You only have two options. You please your family or you please the Lord. And so the concern here for Paul is not necessarily about you, should you get married or not. The concern here we find here in verse 35, he says this, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to restrain you, but to promote good order and to what? To secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. To secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is his second C, his second concern. The first is that you be content in whatever situation, but the second is commitment, undivided devotion to the Lord. Whether you're single or whether you're married, he puts it there in verse 35, he wants our undivided devotion to the Lord, right? And we need to ask the question then, that if we are committed to Jesus Christ, as we should be if we call ourselves Christian, here's the question. Do you have room in your Christianity for a Jesus whose glory is so compelling, right? Whose person and whose claims over you are so comprehensive that you might actually cheerfully even remain single for the rest of your life so that you could give yourself to him in service and for his cause? Do you have room in Christianity for this kind of Jesus? Or if you're married, do you have room in your Christianity for a Jesus that says that, yes, you and your spouse, your family need to follow him, even if it meant giving up some things that every other married couple and every other family wants to pursue or enjoy so that you might enjoy the Lord more fruitfully? Do you have room in your Christianity for a Jesus who might tell you to do that? And so Paul here then is summoning all of us 
not just to a profound contentment, but also a radical and personal commitment because of who Jesus is, all right? An undivided devotion. Now, the third thing here we see here that's really a concern for Paul is not just contentment, not just uh, commitment, but to be captured, to be captured. Because you might at this point be thinking, you know what is, why is Paul being so radical or why is he being so hardcore? Uh, for some of us who even have been a Christian for so long, why is he so overly zealous? Uh, why is he being a little extreme, right, uh, as, as a Christian? And, and here's how I, I think we need to understand this. Here's a question I ask you. Do you have a bucket list? You know, one of those lists where you, you write things down, things that you want to do uh, in your life before, you know, your time's up. Um, do you have a bucket list? Um, what's on it, right? Um, I, I, I don't have a bucket list. I don't think so. Um, but maybe you don't have a bucket list, but maybe you just have a, a to-do list, right? Do you, do you even have a to-do list, a list of things that you just need to get done throughout the day or the week or, or so on and so forth, right? And most of us, whether we have a bucket list or a to-do list, a lot of times the things we put on there, it just kind of sits there. Um, we may be good at putting things on there, but we're not always very good at checking those items off our list, are we? And the attitude or the mentality sometimes is this, yeah, you know what, I want to do this one day, but, you know, one day, maybe sometime down the line, I'll get to it. But right now, uh, I'm just too busy, right? I, I'm just too preoccupied with other things, but I'll get down to it, right? And so we have this bucket list that kind of remains a list. But what happens? What would happen if you went to a doctor and your diagnosis that you got was this? You've got one more year. You've got one more year, and that's all you got, just one more year. Then how would you look at those lists? How would you pursue your bucket list? How would you pursue that to-do list? And my guess is you'd probably attack that list with urgency and diligence, and you start striking off some of those things before you know your year runs up. And I think this is the kind of context that Paul is speaking into, not just here in the church in Corinth, but also in our life today. We don't know what the church is going through here in Corinth right, at this time, but we do know that the emperor of Rome just initiated a new cult in his own honor and that Christians were suffering because they refused to burn incense to the, to the emperor and say Caesar is Lord. We know that the church internally was, was struggling a lot. It was messed up, morally, morally compromised, and there was strife and conflict and pride, and so it was struggling internally. We know that the Lord was disciplining them, and they were going through a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, struggle just in their own lives. Some of them, we know, were, were, were getting sick, and even some of them had passed away. And so there's a lot of stuff going on here. We don't know exactly what the problems were that Paul is referring to, but we know that in Corinth, things were very challenging and very difficult. In other words, I think for the people living in this time, at least as Paul writes to them, to them, it felt like the end of the world was coming. It felt like the end of the world was coming. And maybe we do too, especially in our current situation, right? And so then Paul places that situation into the context of something bigger. And now he's not just talking about marriage and single, but he's giving us a bigger picture of what I think our life or his life should, should look like in light of this. And he tells us what that is. In verse 29, he says, 
this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Time is running out. And in verse 31, he says, the present form of this world is passing away. So the present difficulties that they were enduring in this church in Corinth, it felt to them like the end of the world was coming. Should we get married? Should we stay single? What should we do? And Paul says this, it is coming. It's the beginning of the end. We just don't know when. No one does. But it is the beginning of the end. And as a Christian, you should know that one day the end of the age is coming. As a Christian, we should know that the Jesus who died, the Jesus who rose again and now reigns for us in heaven, will one day return. Whether we go to him personally or whether he comes to us, one day. And if we think about even in our own context, right now where, where you know, we've got racial bigotry in the public, people are fighting and, and wrestling and struggling over these issues. We've got riots and protests and who knows what rioting is going to happen this week you know, during the election. We've got moral compromise and collapse all around us. The, the church, probably its witnesses, is very weak in this place. There are natural catastrophes, fires going on in everywhere. There are people even in our own church who are getting sick. Some of us have experienced personal and relational loss. And we just can't avoid the question. It does feel like, is this the end of the world? Is this the end of the world? Just like the Corinthians. Now, the answer is probably not, right? At least not right now. Not, not tomorrow, maybe, maybe not next year or the year after. But the point is, Paul saying this, one day, one day, whether it be our own lives or whether it be the world's life, one day the end will come. And never personally have I felt that more personally in my own stage in life and in my own situation than now. And there is this, then, I think, desire to want to be able to live without any regrets. Because you don't know when that time is coming, whether now or later. An end, an end is coming. And therefore, Paul is telling this church that, and he says, in light of that, Christian, you are to live in light of that. That you have a spiritual bucket list. That if you're a Christian and you have the call of God in your life, then you have a bucket list to pursue the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And if you know that the time is short, as Paul says, then what Paul is trying to encourage them, married or single or whatever situation you're in, it's time to get busy crossing off those items on that spiritual list. To cut out the fluff. To stop saying, I'm too busy. To stop saying, it's not a good time. To stop saying, it's never a good time. Because these are all excuses. And Paul is telling them that the time is short. And that our time here on earth, and when we get to heaven, and when we see Jesus face to face, let me be very honest, there will not be marriage in heaven. The only marriage is you and Jesus Christ. There will no longer be any more work. There will no longer be any more focus on disease or sickness or, or sadness. Or There will only be him. And the only regret I think we'll have is not doing enough for him while we were still here. 
And none of these excuses that we make will ever fly in the face of God. And that's, I think, the bigger picture that Paul is addressing as people are concerned about marriage and singlehood, that they are to pursue in whatever situation a new resolve, the honor and the name of the God that they say they believe in and that they worship. And they have to do that right now. Now, what does a life like that look like? Well, you don't have to wonder because he gives us a few examples. In verses 29 to 31 in our passage, he gives us some advice about what that life should look like. From verse 29, he says this. From now on, he says, because the time is short, because Jesus is coming, because Christ is one day returning, because life will end one day, let those who have wives or husbands live as though they had none. Okay. Now, what does he mean by that? He doesn't mean like, you know, if you're married, act like you're not married. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this, that the world today teaches you to put ultimate value in your earthly relationships, in your marriages or in your friendships or whatever it is, to derive your identity and your joy and your significance from those relationships. But when you know that Jesus has died, that he lives and that he reigns and that one day he will return then you will love your wife or you will love your husband and your children and you will serve them in Jesus' name, but you will look for your ultimate value and significance, not in those relationships, but in Christ for himself, for Christ himself and you'll live for him. And then he says later on in that passage, those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoiced as though they were not rejoicing. And what, what does he mean by that? He's saying this, look, like if you know that the time is short, if you know one day you'll meet Christ and Christ will come back in one way or another, then yes, right now we do mourn. We mourn loss. And some of us, maybe we've experienced a, a lot of loss already. But he's saying this, we don't mourn as if, that will never end. We know one day that Jesus will come back. We don't mourn as though death were the end and earthly sorrow was the ultimate. But we know now because of what Jesus has done, Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, though weeping may last for a night, joy will come in the morning. And even our joys look different. We don't rejoice just like the world anymore. We, we don't find our earthly joys to be the sole source of our deepest satisfaction. We, in fact, we would let go of some of those joys so that we might instead taste some of the joys of the Lord. Like that hymn says, fading is the world's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. And then he says, we buy as though as we had no goods and we deal with the world as though we have no dealings with it. What does he mean there? He says, because we know one day we will meet Jesus, because we know that the time is short. We don't buy and sell and engage in commerce as if the value of our lives are measured by the size of our bank accounts or the scale of our portfolios. Instead, because we know Jesus is coming, because we know this world is passing, we leverage the resources. We leverage the riches that the Lord has blessed us with, maybe for his glory, for the growth of his kingdom, so that we store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. And because we know Jesus is one day returning, we deal with the world as if this world is not our home. We're in it and we engage it, but we're not no longer of it. 
Here we have no abiding city. There was one hymn that I learned back in uh, the Korean church when they made me do Korean morning prayer services. And it was the hymn that I just picked up because they used to sing it every Sunday morning. And so it's that hymn by Martin Luther. And, and it goes like this. And he, he puts the idea so clearly that hymn called A Mighty Fortress. And the first stanza that we all may have heard of, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal its prevailing. And then the last verse goes like this. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, and his kingdom is forever. Are you getting the picture here? Are you listening? Do you see Paul's program here for the Christian life? This is the perspective. This is the big picture of a child of God who's resting on Christ that is content with him, that is undividedly committed to him, and that is captured by a vision of his infinite worth and value and knows that one day the time will end and the time is short. And so we have a spiritual bucket list to begin checking off items as the Lord has called us to serve him. And I just wanted to be honest here. If this sounds a, a, a bit too radical for you, a bit too extreme for you. You Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've been going to church for a long time, whatever the case. But if this kind of life sounds a little bit overboard to you, then let me just say this, because I personally feel the same way. And I personally feel it is a challenge. But I dare say this, if this is how we feel, either what we know about the Christian life is too shallow or what we know about who Jesus is is too little and what he means to us is too small. Or the time that we actually devote to God is too sparse. And maybe that's why it sounds a little bit crazy. But if there's anything that our time during this pandemic has done, it's to put in the question any notion of indestructibility and unchanging future of our world. This pandemic has certainly questioned the assumption that, that our world will, is indestructible and that our future is so secure. And one of the biggest mistakes we could do, and yet we always do this, is to simply assume that we or that our loved ones will have another year, will have another decade, or even just another day for that matter. To just assume that we will have more time and things maybe will get better, when in fact, Every moment and every breath we have is by the grace of God. And so for us, for the Christian, the concept of time has changed radically. And life now needs to be with a different perspective. So things like marriage and singleness and grief and making money, as important as those things are, are not to be all-consuming. They all look different now on the Christian clock. For the world and its present form is passing away. And they are learning that the world was not indestructible. And therefore, Jesus is the one in whom we find our contentment. We need to be so content with him in our life, whether single or married or wherever the case, that we find our contentment in him. We are committed to Jesus, who is the one who is so infinitely precious to us, 
and ought to be, that we might even give up our relationships for his purpose and for his glory and not just your own. And we are to be captured by a vision of Christ's value and worth so that you and I would hold on to Jesus for all we're worth and then maybe let go of some of the things in this world that may not matter in the long run in order that we might live for him. And so this is what I think Paul has always been about is not to address and make your marriage better, though he can. And he's not to address your singlehood and cure your loneliness, though he could. But the deeper issue of contentment, commitment, and to be captured by who he is to ruin your life, to run your life, to move it in a direction that's called to him, that's his concern. And I pray that more and more as we struggle with that, that you and I could do this, whether we're married or not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much.